Today's episode is brought to you by Divine Social. Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, and DIY enthusiasts. They are behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. The team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now here's the show. to episode number 207 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about creating craft studios for kids with my guest, Nicola Day. Nicola has been sewing since she was 11 years old when she learned to sew at school. Sewing has always been part of her life. In college, sewing for people helped her to make money to support herself. And after college, she designed a line of pocketbooks and sold them all over the U.S. in boutiques. When her daughter was born, she wanted her to be as passionate about sewing, but found there was no sewing studio in her town. And so she founded Hip Stitch a sewing and craft studio for children in Newton, Massachusetts. Hipstitch has been in business now for 12 years, opening their second location in Wellesley, where we're sitting right now, and a third location is due to open in Brookline, Massachusetts soon. Hipstitch has expanded its offerings to include knitting, crochet, and fiber arts, as well as their own DIY hand and machine kits to create at home. In addition to offering classes at their studio, they offered the program off-site to 15 schools in Newton, Wellesley, Weston, Cambridge, and Brookline. Nicola Day, welcome. Thank you for having me, Abby. Yeah, it's so great to be here. And I think Hipstitch is such an incredible new asset to our town. And I will disclose that my daughter, Josephine, has taken a fashion class here and totally loved it. So I'm so happy that you are here and also that you're a Craft Industry Alliance member. So I know that you are the oldest of 14 children, and that is an unusually large family. (laughs) So what was that like growing up? Hectic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably where I get my organizational skills from, having to multitask and look after younger siblings as another one came along <laughs> yeah so. and were your was your family creative were you creative as a kid uh, yeah I was totally creative while everybody else was making tv I was crafting um I don't know projects bookmarks or whatever I could hand make um trying to create new ideas rather than sitting and watching tv yeah and um and where did you grow up I grew up in the north of England it's a town called Stoke-on-Trent and it's famous for making pottery, Wedgwood and Royal Dalton. So it is a creative town in a different kind of way. Right, exactly. Okay, and so um, we mentioned in the um, in the intro that when you were in college, you were sewing for people. What kinds of things were you doing? Whatever, they, they would draw me a design and I would make a sweatshirt, whatever their design was. So if it had two different colored sleeves, I remember I, I used to, my... Um, models were my brothers and sisters because there were so many of them so I'd make shirts and um, back, way back when I'm showing my age now um, that, uh, that they had paisley shirts and they'd have paisley s- uh, sleeves and different coloured cuffs so I'd make them for my brothers and they'd wear them to college but of course you never finish them in time and I'd want them to model them the next day so I'd say just roll up the sleeves <laughs> and put elastic bands on they'll never know there's no any cuffs there <laughs> So the biggest memory is saying, oh, the blood circulation stopped in my arms <laughs> because you made me wear this shirt. And then that's how I'd kind of get all my orders. So then people would, I mean, we didn't have cell phones and that. So they would just say, can I have one of those in a different color? And 
So I'd be sewing all night long and my sisters would be cutting and I'd be sewing in my bedroom and my dad would be shouting, turn that machine off! So, yeah, so from an early age I was always sewing. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's like your brothers were like live models. Yes. Like walking models. around yeah. in the samples. Exactly. And then people would generate um, excitement and that so, way. Well, that's cool. Where did you get that? And so, oh, my sister made it. Please don't order one. <laughs> And so you learned to sew in school, as did I. I learned to sew in home ec in eighth grade. So what was the sewing curriculum in school like then? Yeah, um, pretty basic, you know. I mean, you'd learn how to make, put in a zipper, make a simple apron or a skirt. Um, Apparently I got the top grade in the class. I didn't know then that that was the journey that I'd be taking. I actually did... um, cookery home economics cookery and yeah. I was top I was the top in the class for that so I ended up actually going to um college for uh, catering I ended up to oh. and then I didn't go down that the road of sewing and fashion which I totally should have done but anyway it came back around so yeah here I am so you got yeah that's what you studied so then how how did you transition back to sewing it sounds like after college you got a job what kind of job oh, did yeah. you get so well, so that's where the business part comes in. So I decided, oh, you know, business is something I'm interested in. So I went to, I changed my um, direction and I did went to school for business and I got a business degree. And I was an accountant, so I didn't go into the creative field because still there wasn't, it isn't, I went, there wasn't those kind of opportunities then. And I don't think people thought, because you still did homework at school, so there was never really, I didn't feel like there was a demand to do it outside of, um, outside of school. Um, and then obviously as schools changed and there was less, uh, less, they didn't offer that in school, then I think people started to be more interested in it. So fast forward like 20 years. So I always had the business end. I just didn't use it. I didn't channel it into the creative part until I moved to the States. Okay, so you so, were working as an accountant. You got a practical job practical that job, yeah. could earn a good living, right. which many people who are interested in art end up doing yeah. because it sounds like, oh, you know, it's going to be difficult to make this into something. Yeah, and, exactly. um, okay, and so what brought you to the U.S.? How did you end up coming oh, here? So two of my brothers, the models who wore the shirts, <laughs> wanted to get away from me and came to the States on these uh, Camp America exchange programs where you go to camps and teach kids soccer. My brother was an art student, so he taught art. And they ended up on Nantucket. After you do the program, you have a month to travel around the US. And I think someone told them, go to Nantucket, it's cool. And so they ended up on Nantucket, and then they both met their significant others there. And I came to visit. Okay. So that's kind of how it got me to the US. And then my husband was is a musician in a rock band, and he was doing a gig in Nantucket, and that's where I met him. I mean, that was a few years on, you know? Yeah, so but, you were just coming to visit your brother, so yeah. you were there, and Nantucket's such a beautiful place. But I did get a sewing job there, so there was a lady who has a sewing store there, and she, um, I made slip covers and pillows for properties in Nantucket, and then I kind of spinned off from that and started doing a design, my own line of purses, uh, pocketbooks, as you call them. And you sold them through her through her store or no, separately? Mm, no, I took a trip across the States for three months with a friend. We drove down the East Coast across the bottom of America all the way to the West Coast, and we sold them as we went. And we had... We took, yes, it's kind of funny. We had this was before social media, right? This is before you know online anything, right? So we had a pager, and people would page us and tell us we had a line of purses that we designed with different names. So we had the Martha's Vineyard bag, we had the Saratoga, we had um, the Nantucket bag, and we we had a theme for each bag. And then we would just go into boutiques, and she, my friend would be the model, and she would model each bag and they'd say yeah we love them can we get 10 of them so we'd stop in a motel with the sewing machine and we had cheap cotton i'd make yeah so I'd make, yeah so for a few <laughs> days we'd make them and then we'd take them to this boutique and then they would page us on this uh, and then they would pay us you know cod or whatever it's called pay back direct to the bank account and then we just kept moving states to state wow right you were on. like itinerant wholesale yeah, handbag funny. providers or something. Know, yeah. <laughs> so we got, um, so we had them all over the place. We had them in Saratoga, we had them in Georgia, we had them in San Francisco, many, many boutiques. But this is where the business part comes in. And then you, we were getting so many orders, it's cash flow. You don't have the money to buy the fabric, to 
expand. So I just put it on pause for a bit. You know, it sounds exhausting to too, yeah, by the way. Yes, it's very tiring. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting at the first one. You go, sure. oh, I've got 25 orders of the Saratoga bag. And I'm like, oh, oh no, God. I have to make that. Right. So, but anyway, so I suppose that that's where it started. And then... Um, and so you then put I, it on pause for a little bit. Yeah, and then um, how did you figure out what was the next best step? Uh, well... In between that, I had a business on Nantucket, a property management company. Okay. So I ran that for like 10, 10, well, I just ran it, I stopped doing it just before COVID, so 20 odd years. So I I had the business background and then I, I, the rock singer who I met on the island, I got married to him and we relocated to Newton, Mass. Right. And so then um, my daughter wanted to do the sewing classes and I realized, I looked around and I was like, there's no, there's only one place. It was in a town, Needham was the next town over and there was a wait list. So I said, that's wait list for sewing classes? Never heard of it. I mean, I could have taught to myself, but I had a, a younger child. So I just wanted it to have a set schedule. I feel the same way. So I could have taught my kids myself too, but my kids all took sewing classes yeah. outside. But also it's different when you're learning from mom than when you're learning yes, with friends exactly. and outside of the home, right. I think. Yeah. And so that's when the light bulb went off and I was like, wow, there's a wait list for, you know, so she had to wait, I think two months so she could get into that class. Wow. And anyway, so I yeah. took it and then I just got the idea. I'm like, well, there must be a demand, and I was in a you know Newton's a large town, a large city. It's a city, so there's lots of schools and kids. So I thought, oh, I'll just try a pilot class in my house, and I'll sure. email her, her, her. Email her class. She was seven at the time, which is the perfect age. Yes, and so the whole of the whole of her school wanted to do it, her grade and above. So I think she was fourth grade, so it'd be the fourth and fifth grade. And then it just kind of snowballed, you know, someone, e- and now it's free, right? So everybody wants a free class. So then someone who would deal, email a girl's scout troop, and then they would email a friend who would email a friend. So, so word of mouth yeah. just got around that this was going exactly. on and something that kids would like and yeah. could do. Yeah. And so I set it up in my living room, two tables in my living room, and I think we I did 100 kids in one month because it was nearly the end of the school year, so people's schedules were open. So then I was like, oh, well, clearly there's a demand. So now I just have to find a location. So, so had you, you, it sounds like you hadn't really had experience teaching necessarily no, or really. working with groups of kids. Because, no. you know, having, a, being a mom is yes. different than teaching a right. group of children. So was that a learning curve for you? Yeah, a little. Because, yeah. you know, um, you know, you got very patient and then, you know, showing them the steps and then also the sewing machines that I had, um, I, the ones I have now are much more user friendly and they're easier to thread. So there's right. all that learning curve. Like, and when we when I first started, I got donated all the sewing machines from people who I went on Craigslist and people don't husbands wives who passed away who had sewing machines in their attics or basements donated them to me. And so, so it's all different brands, all different brands, all different all threading. Different, right. I know they're I mean, all different. I mean, they're all basically the same, right, but, not, but they're all actually different. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't say if one, if a child was, can't thread a machine, you know, on table five, it's not the same as one on table four. So that where now we, children can help other children if there was a glitch, but you can't cause they're all different, you know? So then right. that's the whole learning curve. But I mean, you know, this was a, was I was testing the business so I was like okay I don't want to use my own cash yet till I know it's sure yeah I think that's important too and also just gauging interest locally I mean obviously there was this wait list so you knew that there was that and then a free class sure so did you transition to paid classes yeah so then I look for a location just happened to be one you know a few door down the street from my house and the landlord let me do uh, month to month, so there was not a big commitment. Oh, that's so like, the okay. best. Yeah, and he didn't mind about me, and so I had to go in and decorate the place and make it, you know, appealing. And so he let me do month to month, and then he, I didn't really have to worry about it because it took off straight away. You know, everybody, all the people that had come for free, that was a hundred people, and those hundred people told another, I don't know, fifty. So we had wait lists for the classes. I didn't have enough teachers. I mean, it was the other way around. So Yeah. So was, did you start to hire? I mean, yeah. you obviously one person can't yeah. do all of this. So you must have, who was the first hire and how did you figure out oh, who to hire? Well, I put an ad on Craigslist because that's how, you, there was no Facebook then, remember? There was right. No this was 
12 years more than 12 yeah. years ago something so, like that yeah. so yeah so a long time ago yeah. so that's how you I guess that's kind of how you would find people there was sure. not a lot of these um, employment websites like Indeed, Indeed. or any of those yeah. there was none of that so I, I was so lucky I found a guy who lived in Newton he was a sewer and he wrote he, he worked for a company and he wrote about sewing he wrote about sewing techniques but he wanted to do more hands-on oh. and teach sewing and he was a big sewing enthusiast and he lived two streets away Perfect. how random is that yeah so I hired him so he was the hands-on because remember I had my daughter was eight and I had a little boy about four so I have little kids you know um, yeah. to manage in between and actually, honestly, he was better at the teaching than me because he understood the mechanics of the machines and he just was more in tune with that. Whereas yeah. I was more in tune with the business side totally. and getting people in the door. So we were kind of a good fit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Sometimes you think you're the only one who can do something and then you hire someone and you realize, actually, they can do it better than Way I better can. Way better than me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and it's such a huge asset to, to understand that. And he was much more technical, much better so than me. Not that you needed really to be with kids because it's basic. basic anyway. Yeah. But like if an adult wanted to take a class, I mean, he know he, his, he knew every time. He could do everything. Yeah, whereas I would be, I'd be like, I'd be okay. If, but <laughs> I don't know if I could make make their ball gown. Or yeah, Whereas he could. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. And he made all his own clothes, his jeans. He'd spend 30 hours on a pair of jeans and he'd make every, you know. And I'm wow, like, that is so incredible. Yeah. Those skills so was, are incredible. So it was good, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so what kind of projects did you feel like worked in the like in those early days? And maybe, maybe talk, because we're sitting in this gorgeous Lightfield studio in Wellesley. There are projects lining the walls, on shelves, and up on hangers and everything. So talk, I guess, about those early projects that did or didn't go so yeah. well and then what kind of projects you offer now yeah so we the first project we did was a headband which is basically two strips of fabric with um, a piece of elastic on the end that they sew in and they can wear it so the reason we cho- I chose that was because every kid would make it. it was pretty straightforward they could do straight lines or decorative stitch and it's a marketing thing they would wear it to school and they would tell everybody they made it so that would advertise for me number one and tell everybody in their class I made this where did you make that oh I made it at hip stitch and so that was a good thing to do and then we just did a basic pillow but I think I opened in the September and that Christmas I did a fashion show because kids I mean now I understand this they love the idea of fashion but they don't understand how much time and effort goes into making a piece of clothing so (laughs) Most people don't in in today's society. Exactly. So it ended up being me there for like, you know, two weeks before till five in the morning finishing all these projects because, you know, the kids want to wear them and then they are attached and they get upset and they want to show off their skill set. So that was probably an overreach. It was, you know, start, you know, I think you learn everything should start simple basic keep it basic 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 and what you think is simple to you is not necessarily simple to a child so step by step you know and they can they can do that later on as they build the skill set you know right right that's that was so you know you know i would have the guy that was helping me make these prototypes and he'd make these really complicated they looked amazing, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that too would much. just be too over. And you also, you don't, when people are starting, you don't want to overwhelm them. You want to underwhelm them so that they keep interested and then they don't get frustrated or they, they lose the confidence, you know? So it's right. about keeping it simple and building on those skills so that they, that they stay interested, but they don't feel too overwhelmed that it's going to be too challenging for them right. to finish. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Tracy Reuter from Divine Social. Uh, Tracy Reuter and our company is Divine Social. And what is Divine Social? So we are a uh, advertising agency. We're a digital marketing agency that helps and focuses um, on brands and businesses that sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, DIY enthusiasts, and we help them create successful digital acquisition strategies. Okay, so what does that even mean? So it's great that you specialize in this niche, so you're talking to makers, which is awesome, and you understand them. You're a maker yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, but what does all of that other part mean? 
So our specialty is when you're when you have your own storefront and you are trying to get people um, to go from never hearing about you to actually buying from you on your e-commerce storefront. We specialize in basically designing, if you will, um, the creative process to get people from never heard about you before to becoming raving fans. We've been serving the makerspace for over, gosh, five and a half years now. We're actually our team is been quietly behind some of the biggest brands in the space. And we have a tremendous amount of experience understanding the nuances of very tactile products. And we know a lot of times people want to touch and feel things, but we've really mastered how do you do it digitally? So if someone is if a company is wanting to really grow um, their direct to consumer, their whether it's Shopify or whatever it is that they they own, so not not necessarily an Etsy store or um, Amazon or something like that, but directly. Um, that's what we've been doing for the last almost six years now in this particular space. That's fantastic. Such a good resource to know about. Um, and how can people find you and be able to reach out to you? Well, if you are, our website is divinesocial.com. Um, and you can go there. And then if you go to divinesocial.com forward slash CIA, uh, for a limited time, we have a, an opportunity for people who are already doing direct to consumer and want to get our eyes on their store to find out what's preventing you from getting more customers. So That's definitely there. So valuable. Thank you so much, Tracy. My pleasure. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now back to my conversation with Nicola. Okay, so what kind of projects are you offering now? I see lots of stuffed animals. Yes, yeah, so and I see animals. some like very simple skirts and blouses yeah. and dresses, and then some bags and accessories and things like that. Yeah, so we always start off with a pillow because it's straight stitching, straight lines. They get to sew an applique on whatever they choose, the initial, or we have a, a variety that they can choose. Then we move on to a tote bag again, straight lines, but now they've got. Yeah, they've got leaving an opening so they're learning how to sew around in a circle and we just kind of build from that and then they do have to do simple stuffed animals like two dimensional then three and then up and above and then if we do clothing again straight lines a skirt a pair of leggings and then we kind of build from that you know mm-hmm. okay that right. takes a while to get to that point to get now. to that point yeah. yeah okay and how old are the kids who come here now um, I'd say, well, we, the thing is, we do younger children from six, but they do the fiber arts now, so they can do hand sewing or weaving or, so obviously if someone's got a sibling, the, it, for convenience, parents want to drop off both kids, so the younger child would do the fiber arts and the hand sewing, and then seven and up, we kind of use, do sewing machines and okay. more complicated things. Right, so you expanded out into not just sewing. Was that challenging or to figure that out, or no. was it obvious? <laughs> it was very easy because yeah. parents would say, well, I really want to send my seven-year-old, but then I've got a five-year-old, and then where am I going to send her? I'm like, oh, bingo, you're going to send her here. <laughs> We're going to give her more simplified projects, and she can be with the sibling, and, and then, you know, and that's how, how it grows from Right. Okay. So that's really smart. And we talked about these donated sewing machines that you were working with in the beginning. And now I see all of these brother machines here. There's brother project runway machines all over. So how did you decide on that? And was this the first type of machine that you went with or has it evolved over time? Yeah. So we tried a few brands. So we tried uh, Singer, which is obviously one of the more famous brands, but they they have a drop well the models we were using 12 years ago didn't have the drop in bobbin at the top they have the door that you have to pull down yeah. and put it into a contraption so that's challenging for kids it too is. so um, I think I just looked at another model and brother and then obviously with the whole because we have a fashion program we looked at the brother project runway because and then I think they developed that machine for the younger generation because it was more interested in sewing. Right, like kids would see Project Runway on TV, yes, get exactly. interested, and then they made this you know Project Runway machine that's very simple. Right, simple yeah, threading. Simple to use. Yeah, so we just kind of went with that, and that seemed to work. And then obviously got rid of all my donated machines, right. and then it kept everything the same and consistent. So that way it's easier if somebody is challenged about threading, 
somebody sitting next to them that could say, oh, you just do this, and it's, it's a number system for the threading. So it's Right, which easier. makes it easier. Yeah. And then do you teach them things like winding the bobbin and all of that piece yeah. too? So we sell the sewing machines, and with the sew- if you purchase a sewing machine from us, we give a one-hour tutorial, and, in, and you can schedule that after you purchase. After that time, when they come back, we teach them all that. Th- th- threading, a, a, changing a broken needle, winding a bobbin, what the what some of the attachments do the um, buttonhole and they, they come with various attachments. And so, can your can the parents? So I, I I for many years I think four years I taught um, adults to use their sewing machines. Yeah. They would bring their machine in whatever right. machine they had that was gathering dust somewhere, yeah. and I would show them how to thread it and right. run the bobbin and do a simple project. We made a drawstring bag, and a lot of these folks also their child was enrolled in a sewing class and loved it. They got a sewing machine for Christmas or for their birthday and then came home and were like, I need help. Right. I, you know, the needle broke or I can't wind the bobbin correctly. I can't yeah. thread this correctly. And mom or sometimes dad would be like, uh-oh, I, I actually don't remember how to do this or I never learned. Right. And so they would come and take the machine to me yeah. in this class. And so when you do that tutorial after they've bought the machine from yeah. you, can mom and dad come? Or? Yes, that's okay. what we do. And we suggest that they come and then they video video right the, with the phone yes because they won't remember totally so I do it all the time and we also do adult classes and if someone has a machine we are, we'll do the same as what you did we give them a two they can bring the machine we show them how to thread it and you know I mean I always say to them you can buy from Target you can buy on Amazon but you're still going to need to come to us if you're not tech savvy because you just here's the you thing know. about sewing machines they're just that hard like yes. just hard enough that you actually benefit from a one-on-one lesson yeah. and yeah. Then you learn things maybe you didn't know you didn't know how to put the you know the, the attachment on to make buttonholes or or whatever or there's just glitchy little things you know? right I mean our, maybe it's our generation younger generation maybe they YouTube it more but yeah and the manuals are good I yeah. always feel like bring your manual because yeah, the manual yeah. is very helpful but right. a lot of people don't read their manuals right. so. or they just yeah. feel intimidated they think, do feel they? intimidated exactly okay and then what about when it comes to like supplies um, you know like thread fabric pins, yeah. all the other stuff, all the notions. Yeah, we did sell you, all that now. Oh, you sell. So did you, well, before we get to the yeah. selling that, did you start wholesale accounts to be able to buy all that stuff? Yeah, I did. So I okay. went to a couple of conferences um, and I made a, con- Creativation is a conference in um, Arizona and I went to that and made a contact there and then you just have to have a tax ID and then you can open a wholesale account. There wasn't any limit on how much you have to order. So we in the Newton store, nobody really thought of us as play, a place you'd come and purchase anything because it was always about the classes. It was just about lessons. Yeah. 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 And so um, we've kind of expanded into that. And then when we opened the Wellesley location, we already had it to begin with. So people do actually come and purchase. And, you know, there's, only, there's Joanne's, which is kind of a little hike to get to. And if you're here taking a class, it's just convenient, right? You want to buy the stuff there and... and um, be, have it available to you right so you became a sewing machine dealer yeah and then you also have a kind of a retail area there's kits um there's all kinds of fun sewing things there's patterns also like cross stitch and other things that yes. are in, you yeah, know, knitting crafting, yeah. and craft general crafting yeah. so it really operates as a store somebody could just come in right now and purchase some of yes, those things as a, a present yeah. or for themselves etc and so and then and then do you sell fabric or no? yeah we do I mean, okay. we have a limited um, amount in the Wellesley location because it's small. We have some in Newton, but in our new location in Brookline, there's a whole dedicated area for fabric and notions and supplies because it's a bigger studio. Right. So it's almost like a sewing store yeah. within a sewing studio. Exactly. I think that's really smart because it's hard for people to know what to get. Right. And so they're here. And as you said, they're taking the lesson and then to buy something to take home. Exactly. And they don't yeah. want, you know, it's time, right? Everyone's crunch on time they don't want to feel like oh now I've got to go and drive another 30 minutes to go and buy pins or need or whatever so right. it just makes it easier convenience I guess that's what they're paying for right, right. So. okay and then I, I love so there's this place is decorated in a beautiful way and you have all these green chairs what are these chairs <laughs> <laughs> well this this Wellesley studio was was completely white when we uh, took over the space so we just said okay Best thing to do is keep it white and then just add a pop of color. So the fabric, the projects, and then the chairs would make it 
you know, give it some eye candy, I guess. Yeah, so. and then these big pink chandeliers. Oh, yes, yeah, same Right, thing, it's so pretty. And oh. then over the, like, checkout area, there's a wall of scissors. Oh, yeah, like antique scissors, yeah. So we kind of wanted to have cool um, things for people to look at and feel inspired in the space. And the, and the chandelier there. Oh, that's yeah. That's a chandelier that took 25 hours to hand roll all the pieces of fabric. And okay, so this is, like, kind of a classic-looking chandelier, but each of the branches is wrapped in different fabrics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of wanted to have that, you know, people feel inspired, you know, kind of like anthropology, the store where you go in there and you see the cool creative displays, sort of that sort of thing, you know. Right. And talk a little bit about the windows, too. Oh, you have these beautiful windows and, you know, foot traffic. Like, how important are those two things yeah, to top. the success of this business? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you know, there was always lots of available spaces. When I first looked in Walsey, there was... Uh, it used to be a sewing studio before, and that lady closed down, and they offered me the space. And it was on the second floor, yeah, second no floor. no foot no, traffic. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I just didn't want that, because I'll, the one in Newton is in a, it's a retail store, so you want people to see you. It's street level. People can walk past, and the whole point of having the windows is to inspire people and say, look, you can make this, you can do this, and draw people in. And so this new location in Walsall is perfect for that. Yeah, it's like a candy store. Like you yeah, walk by, exactly. the, the door on the outside is painted bright pink. Yeah. Um, and you just feel like exactly, like it's, I love that anthropology analogy. Yeah. Like you want to make things and you want to come right. in and be part of it. Exactly, because I know a lot of people don't have that creative vision or that creative side of the brain but if they see it presented to them then they'll be interested so you know you're trying to appeal to lots of different types of people and talk a little bit about these school programs because I think that's also really unique so you have these two soon to be three locations brick and mortar locations in neighboring towns um, where there's lots of kids and lots of families and it's going to be popular Um, and then you do these school programs so how did that start um, actually, a school reached out to us when because we, we do sewing birthday parties. So we have a lot of kids. No other place was doing sewing birthday parties or craft parties. So we have a lot of kids from these neighbouring towns. And someone, I think a couple of parents from some other town, asked us, would you ever think about doing the after-school program at our school? And often these after-school programs are, are volunteer, they're run by parents. So that I think it was one of the parents. So I said, oh, maybe, let me think about it. So we um, first did a school in Brookline, not in Newton where we live, uh, not where the first studio is. Um, so we took the sewing machines there and we would do like sewing one week on a machine and, and sewing the following week. And that seemed to be fairly successful. And then this, the, once we did that, another school asked us and another school. So then we just kind of grew it from there. So now... You know, we do several towns in Newton. I mean, the, the issue with the off-site is obviously you've got to have very reliable people because the kids are there every week and they can't just, if someone calls in sick, there's a, you can't just not show up. So logistics are difficult. And then you've got to transport all your sewing machines. And do you have to bring them every week and set them up? Because yep. it's probably not a dedicated classroom for yes, this. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, a lot of labor. A lot of labor. So we have 50 sewing machines, so we have a bunch that we allocate for the off-site classes um, and then just logistically figuring out all the different teachers who can do the programs you know and making it make sense for them financially because they don't want to just go for one hour they do one hour prep and one hour class so you you have to build that into your business you know so on the, a lot of those teachers then do our programs when the schools are closed on all the vacation days. Okay. So then it becomes more of a full time position, or you know, more than uh, more than part time. Right. So, so your teachers are being sort of sent out for that, and yeah. then they come here for so right. they build it out and get enough hours to make exactly. it worthwhile yeah. for their for their time. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then you do birthday parties here. So talk a little bit about the events piece of it sort of um because that's another another revenue stream on top of classes and in school yeah so um again when we first opened in newton someone asked us would you couldn't do figure would you do a birthday party and i was thinking oh my gosh how would we possibly teach someone how to sew in an hour and a half and have a finished product 
and like that child right hasn't signed up for a class yes, so this kids is they're they're there because it's their buddy's birthday right. they're not there because they're like i've always wanted to sew yeah. they just arrive right, right yeah so we have a system so you know when they first come in we we give them a little practice on a we give a demonstration obviously how to use the machine they all do a little practice square so that's 10 minutes and then they, they can only really make a pillow with an applique. Unless they're more advanced and they've got sewing skills, then they would do a tote bag. I think we've done a couple where we've maybe done skirts, but these are more advanced sewers. So, um, yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it's a challenge. That's it's a, a challenge. challenge. And it can be, be a bit stressful. I was going to say, it can be on... kind of rowdy. Birthday parties are a yeah. little bit uh, but, you know, hectic. So our birthday parties are like two hours, so they're 15 minutes demo. Then they go and practice for 15 minutes and then literally probably have an hour to make the pillow. And then when they're having their cake and pizza, then the staff finish any pillows that don't get done. So everybody gets to take something home. So there's no disappointed um, right. yeah, guests otherwise. So, you know, pressure's on us. To finish all of yes. anybody's errors, mistakes, exactly. or whatever, because crazy stuff happens. I know, and then you're unpicking and... Right, machine, you have to you unpick really. Or some kids sewed two pieces... They sew both pieces together with their initial, you know, with the applique on top, so they haven't got a second piece now. You're like, oh, oh. okay, we'll leave that. We'll just add another piece. Right. So anyway, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But you know, we've done it enough now. We've kind of got it. Down and does that is sense. that a good lead generator? In other words, do yeah. kids from those birthday parties who had never stepped a foot in here then sign up for things? Yeah. So they they sign up for a class. They might do their birthday party. Or we do camps, so they would sign up for a camp for a day, and we have a flexible schedule with the camp. So they might come for a morning or an afternoon or a full day. For but me, generally. I have to say, as a working mom, for me, having these vacation camps, yeah. when I had three little kids at home, was like a lifesaver. Yeah. I would send my kids to sewing camp. Like, yeah. you know, you would have off for one day from school for, you know, a, a federal holiday, whatever it would be. Or like winter break, you have them home for a week or something like that. And I, I mean, those sewing camps were incredible yeah, for me. Yeah, so that's yeah. what we do. So, I mean, obviously that's logistics too because you've got to have a lot of staff because if you offer, we offer morning or an afternoon or a full day and then you can do as many combinations as possible. So staffing that can get a bit complicated. But Yeah, yeah. but I noticed, um, so my daughter, who I said earlier, did take a fashion class here um, she goes to a, a, a private school and they have a different schedule, right, than the public schools. Right. And so, for example, like professional development day, they have different professional development days. Yeah. But I noticed I got an email saying, hey, your school and the school's name yeah. in the email is having this professional development day yeah. next Thursday. Send your kids to camp at Hipstitch. And I was like, that is brilliant. Yeah. So we do all the private schools, too. Yeah. So we go through the calendar in September and we put every camp Every professional day or school, I mean, we're expanding all the time um, on our calendar and we have a private school camp day and they can come and sign up. In fact, we've got one today in Newton and then we've got one this afternoon in Wales. Even even some of the schools do early release, so then we do mini camps, so they'll come for an hour and a half. So today there's a local school that's finishing early, so we have a camp this afternoon. Right, so that is really smart. I think it's a really good tip for anybody who is looking to provide programming for kids is like... Get all the schedules, not yes. just the public school schedule, and then send these targeted emails because right. when you do sign up for a class, you say what school your child's enrolled at, right. and so you already know in your database who they are. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can, can target market them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So talk a little bit about your email strategy because that's a big part of marketing and how you think about that, what your approach is there. Yeah. So I'm a... Um we try and not bombard people with constant, we do use constant contact as our email um, marketing tool, but we don't want to bombard people because I just think they'll, they'll also unsubscribe, unsubscribe. So we try and do once a month and tell people what's going on and we try and do community events so it gets people in the door. So it's not always about sat paying for something. So that way you're giving back to your community. So talk a little about what, what kind of community event, what yeah, does that so mean? Yeah, so we did, like, for Halloween, we always do a free Halloween party. Kids can come in and make free crafts. We can give candy. All the staff are dressed up. Um, that's one event that we do. Um, this Sunday in Wellesley, there's a, a holiday stroll. So right. we're, we're giving cookies and um, 
um, hot chocolate and people can come in and see the studio. Um, we're not really offering crafts this week just because we have birthday parties, but just so people can see, hey, this is what, what we offer and if there's any interest. Um, and then we also donate we donate gift certificates to all the schools or, or private, private if they ask, or public because that gets people in the door. So they'll auction those certificates off for a birthday party or a camp day or a parent-child class. And then out of usually out of those ones that we donate, there's always somebody signs up for it. So it's, it's, it's paid, you know, it's, it's, it's targeted advertising and you're giving something away, but you know that it's going to come back in a different right. way. Right, so well, when the school has a fundraising auction, yeah. you'll donate that and just be very generous there. Yeah. And I came to your opening party, and one of the things that I thought was great about it is you invited all the merchants on this block and, you know, and in the blocks that were kind of in the downtown shopping district of Wellesley. And and so all the, all the different, like, shop owners yeah. were here and had a chance to come in. And I think probably... My guess is developing relationships with those neighbors is really yeah. important as well. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I try and be involved in the arts. Like I'm, I'm a board member at the New Arts Centre in um, Newton. So you know, you make great connections. You're, you you know what's going on in your community and what's available, and just all the different um, the different needs, or you know what you can be involved in, so you can network and give back to your community absolutely and like um the the wellesley women artisans did art in the park and we made a big community i'm involved in that group and we made a big community quilt people came and um, made that but it was all kind of glued together and then the squares needed to be sewn together to make the finished quilt and you volunteered to sew yeah. them so we're trying and actually that lady that lady she's on the new heart board so, uh, yeah, so I try and always get involved in all of those things because yeah. then the more people that know about you and you give back, the more people, you know, you, you get, even if your kids are not interested in creative crafts, it just, you know, it just gives you a good presence in the community. And yeah, I think it's really important you. to get involved in that way. And so what happened during COVID? I mean, I feel like here you are in schools that are now closed, doing birthday parties that kids now can't come to. Right. Um, and I mean, that's the, and in a retail shop, basically everything. So, so what happened in March of 2020? Yeah. So we didn't have the Wellesley location, obviously it was just Newton and we got, you know, mandated to close down by the state. But then funny, I, my daughter was a cheerleader and she had a friend on a cheerleading t- team whose father was head of, um, Cambridge Health Alliance so we managed a bunch of the hospitals uh, in the area and they obviously before everybody else knew in the public they knew there was a mass a mask um, you know shortage and people so he reached out to uh, my daughter who then reached out to me and said we've got this great idea no one really knew about the mask thing yet would you guys help us come up with a prototype and make a mask so we'd seen things floating around on the internet so we had to make a prototype for him. He was the head of like five hospitals, and then they took it to the board and and said, "Would this work for our um, people who are in the you know all the health workers?" And they said, "Oh my God, this is amazing! How fast can they make them?" So we got a special permit. We were able to get a special um, permit from the state to say we couldn't be open to the public but we could be in there making these masks because it was for um, this is you and staff members or volunteers yeah, so i'd lay i had to lay off all the staff so those staff then said i asked them would you sew at home and do um make these masks if we give you the pattern and obviously remember i have 50 sewing machines so my daughter was able to anyone who didn't have a sewing machine could she could drop a sewing machine to them so beyond my staff it was people in the community who wanted to do sewing who could sew um could also can help you know so um we dropped the sewing machines we and i and because i've got this tip off it was before everything actually shut shut down so i was able you to were get early yeah my wholesaler to give me as much fabric as i could buy and as much of elastic because all of that was oh yeah so you had elastic when nobody else did people offering me ten dollars i bet yard of elastic i mean i would give it as way as much as we could but anyway so all those things you know because it was a supply chain thing and then everything was not available so i managed i think it was two days before i got a tip off from him the guy who was running the 
at the hospitals that things were probably going to shut down. Okay. So then I sent my daughter to the hospital. I'm like, buy 10 grand's worth of fabric and as much elastic as he's got. Because he didn't even know. Good foresight. Because he didn't even know. Yeah. So he was like, sure, okay, you can have all this. And anyway, so so then I was able to start producing. They want the so they, I think they needed a thousand in one week. So I managed to get all my local stuff to make them. But then he, the, then I was like, why? Well, I, I may as well try and sell them online because I had the platform to do it because I had read the through the store. So then I put them online. And um, someone in the community told the local TV station, and I think the CDC said on the Thursday that everyone had to have a mask, and on the Friday I was on the local TV station. I think I was on five times that day. So from the Friday to the Monday, we had $150,000 worth of orders. Crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, what is your e-commerce built on? Was it able to handle this? Is this Shopify? Shopify, yeah. Okay, so, so just, you could handle it. Yeah, so, you know, so this all this is a learning curve. So, you know, we were offering all different colors, which was silly. So someone would order two masks. It's like, because you have to pack, pack, pick, pack, and ship that and make it, right? Oh, Rather yeah. than doing 10 in one. Anyway, so that's a whole logistical <laughs> nightmare because we're not a manufacturer. So we cleared the studio and we had someone cutting all the squares and the elastic pieces and we had a drop box outside of our studio. People would pick up 100 with fabric and elastic and sew and then drop off. And then we would pay them after the, we'd inspected them and make sure they're up to standard. Wow. So that was a... So I hired people who were sewers because no one was working, right? So anyone who worked in a factory, anyone who was a tailor... So besides my staff in the community, I had another 10 people who were professional sewers. And some of them had machines that they, I just give them the fabric and they called the squares and cut the fabric, and the, the last yeah. one. Wow. So it was a huge operation. You know, when everyone else was doing TikTok videos and watching Netflix, <laughs> I was working harder than ever. No, till two and three in the morning. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Right. And the demand was so, never was so stressed. So, you know, you order on a Friday, they want it by Saturday. Sure. It's like, well, I'm not a mass market. You know, right. I'm a tiny little sewing <laughs> studio. My so, goodness. So we wow. survived until we could open. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's an incredible story. Yeah. Y'all always remember. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So then, um, so now you're open and, and you're going to be expanding into Brookline. And I wondered, you know, was that a risk and even expanding out here to Wellesley? You were just in Newton for 12 years. Yeah. Um, so what was the, you know, the thought process in that decision to, hey, you know, we're going to invest and expand? Yeah. And I know you got a, a grant from the state to help also. Yeah. So, well, because we do all the offsite programs in those different towns, I was always getting asked by parents, would you ever open one in our town? So obviously you have to do the research and figure out, is it viable? Are there enough schools, enough children? Is there enough disposable income? That kind of thing. So um, I remember we had a conversation about this yes, when you we were did. like, should I move to Wellesley? Yeah. Should I or shouldn't I? So I wasn't yeah. sure about Wellesley. I knew yeah. Brookline for sure because it's got similar demographic to Newton. And um, this, and we already do a bunch of schools there. I only do one school in Wellesley, so I wasn't quite sure. But when COVID happened, all the... Uh, Commercial spaces were available, number one, there was availability, and two, the price point was much, much lower. So, I, you know, most people wouldn't probably expand during COVID. But it I was said, a risk, It was sure. a risk, yeah. yeah. But, but a calculated risk because you could lock in for three to five years at a much lower rate. So that was part of the problem. Everything was out of, you know, out of the price point and didn't make sense financially. So this made... Was this a, actually enabled you yeah. to get a lease at right. the right price? And then I, so I was, I did find one in Brookline to begin with, and then that fell through, and there was some other issues. But and then I saw the one in Wellesley, and I, and it was a good price point. So I said, okay, well, we'll do Wellesley, and it was really easy to get in the door, just the logistics with the, with the, the space that we took. It was like you, we saw it on a Friday and we could take it by the Monday. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, and it just was a whirlwind. Yeah, and, and it was getting it already, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and I, I'm imagining it's been a success, but how how, do, how would you evaluate it? I know it's been hard with COVID. Yeah. Still, so, parents are a yeah. little apprehensive. They were, yeah, they were apprehensive to come back into a, into a, a shared space with other kids and other... Yeah. Um, 
So that was a little, we opened April of this year, so it was still very, pretty new. And we opened a week, it was, it was, some of it was just random, t- it was not calculated, just happened to fall, that, that week was April vacation week. So before, uh, we had a month to get it ready, and when we have, I was advertising about it, I was already sold out before we opened the door that Monday morning. So that was a good sign. Yeah. Um, but again, that was April, so people were still a little nervous. Then we kind of had a bit of a lull, and then... Um, and then, so, then the summer camps are usually the busiest time. So our summer camps weren't that busy. They were okay. But in retrospect now, maybe that's a good thing because you can kind of learn what works and what doesn't versus if you got thrown at the deep end, it would be hard to staff. And you want people to have a positive experience. You don't want... Right, to, you don't want to have such high demand that they come and, and it's frustrating or yeah. they don't have a good experience right, right. off the bat because you're still spreading the word. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, we thought it might be a little busier in, a, in the summer, but I think because of COVID, more people went away than ever. So that made it less busy. Um, but now the classes are getting busy because fall sports end and now they're coming indoors and they want to do something else. And then, you know, we have a, an amazing manager here, Amanda. So her how she deals with the customers and how she deals with the kids you know help make a positive um positive experience and then you know it just takes a bit of time people tell people and then it go builds from there you know? yeah absolutely it takes time to build a business and it is built one relationship at a time right and so you have to treat each each person yeah you know very very well so that yeah. they come back and they and tell recommend people. you other people yeah yeah exactly. yeah especially a local brick and mortar business that's right. that's how it's built um, okay, so I want to get to your recommendation list, but is there anything important that I didn't ask about because I didn't know to ask, but oh. would be interesting to know about around running a kids' craft studio? Yeah. So, like any business, it's all about doing your research to begin with. There's no, you know, you have to, the only way that you can succeed is you need demand, you need enough people to come to your studio. Um, the reason we, kind of focus more on kids rather than adults is because kids if someone signs their child up for a class they'll make sure that they go every week and it'll be consistent whereas adults are not as reliable and the schedules change isn't that interesting it's like they will always drop their kid off at thursday on thursdays yeah. at three thirty. but not, if you book an adult class at eight o'clock at night often people won't come sure, exactly. even if they've paid i know so so we just decided we offer them but not that isn't the main resource. Um, so we focus on children for that, and also just researching where where your location is. Can people get to you? If I mean, I, I've had a lot of other people who wanted to do the same thing come and ask me, you know, and I'll show them how we do it and what we do, and then they'll go and sign sign you know sign a lease in a mall that no one can get to or some location that. Unless you carpool, you can't get to it. So they didn't think of those logistical things, you know. Yeah, um, and this this location has easy parking. Yeah, that's another thing. It's easy parking. in and out. You can right. pull up, open the door. Kid can hop out. You exactly. can watch them go right in, so yeah. you know that they're there. Safe, yeah. Um, and then same thing with pickup. It's like you can and and there's a bunch of cool boutiques on this street. So you could park if you got here 15 minutes early because you were coming from somewhere right. else. You could do a little shopping and then so it makes it pleasurable and easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of those. things things and then you know basically you need capital and cash flow you know I mean you may be the craftiest person on earth but if you don't have a business sense and you don't have cash flow then how are you gonna you can't really make it successful unless you want unless you hire people who who are gonna help you if you want to grow it if you want it as a hobby and it's just for you and you want to just make a small income that's a different story but if you're looking to this to be your main income your main um you know, job, then you can't make money unless you do volume. It's just the way it is. You need right. to have a lot of children. You need to have a lot of offerings. You need staff, you know, so that's a whole a whole other learning issue, you know. And your accounting background, I'm assuming, also came in handy. Yeah. Yeah, but even for me, it's a lot to yeah. deal with, you know, and handle and payroll and taxes and this new, you know, what all the different rules and regulations that, 
apply with all small businesses. You yeah, know? it is a lot. Are you sleeping well at night? Are you up at night? <laughs> well, I'm up a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, I imagine so. I mean, the stress is, it's yeah. a lot of stress. Yeah, it's a lot you know? to handle. And, you know, just keeping track of everything and right. everybody and your staff. And, you know. and then you have that occasional parent who's upset, angry, demanding, whatever. They're yeah. always out there. So. Exactly, so you've got to respond to them. Yep deal with all those you know but you basically you're in customer service so you're providing a service whether it's teaching you know whether it's selling or teaching the child to sew or craft so you know you've got to service people right and give them a good a good um a good experience and be able to handle if the someone has unrealistic expectations or the kids crying or or anything along those lines. Totally, yeah, yeah. And you get kids with all different learning challenges as right. well. There's, you know, kids who are have ADHD, maybe aren't medicated or, yeah. or should be medicated, whatever, and they're running around. And yeah. um, or kids who frustrate really easily. Yeah. My oldest daughter frustrates really easily, and it's that's it's challenging to teach her because when small things happen, she has big reactions. Yes, and you have you to know? like tamper that down and yeah. get it in proportion. Totally, and it's hard when you have a bunch of kids together yeah. um, to handle different right. learning styles. Well, now I'm not, I, as far as the business goes, I don't, I'm not, I don't do the hands-on day-to-day stuff unless someone's off sick or need to jump in. So I'm sort of behind the scenes organizing everything and keeping it afloat and making sure yeah. the staff are going where they're supposed to be going. So, yeah. Um, it's yeah. a lot, Nicola. <laughs> All right, so let's get to your um, recommendations. So you told me about a magazine that I had never heard of before, and it's called FAIR, F-A-I-R-E, just like the wholesale platform FAIR, but yeah. it's not related. No, it's not. Um, it's, a, it's a British, I'm obviously, I lean to things that are British because I'm British. <laughs> and it's a lady who started a magazine. I think she was um, an editor in London and she moved to France and she highlights all different artists from around the globe, not just sewing. She does anything crafty. So, you know, she could do ceramics or, and she just highlights her business. She does amazing photography. So it's a, a, a I think it's a quarterly subscription and then you just get to learn about someone's journey. It's about their journey more more than their actual craft, you know. So yeah. how did where did they start? How did they become? Great. Yeah, and it's just very interesting. It can be people who retired from their regular job and decided I always wanted to learn how to you know make do ceramics, and then it talks about their journey, and some of them become quite accomplished. So it's just interesting. It's just yeah. inspire. It's it's all about it, to inspire. The creative mind. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm totally going to check it out because I had never heard of it before. And then you are reading Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins. I have to say, I followed Jeff Goins for a long time, and I remember um, he he really was great at like newsletters and newsletter marketing. At one point, um, I was reading a lot of things that he was putting out there. So what is this book? Is this a book, Real yeah, Artists Don't yeah, Starve? Yeah. Okay. Just came out. I mean, it's all the principles that I talked about where... You know, you've got to really research your market. It doesn't matter whether you what you what you're doing as an artist. I mean, what's your goal? Is your goal to make money? And if it is, then research everybody else who's doing something similar. And how are you going to make that viably profitable? You know, you, you know, one can do it as a single person. You're always going to have to hire people and all the logistics that go with that. You know, nice. So it's sort of giving you that background and trying to guide you through that yeah and also know your worth right just say why am I selling this for cheap when I put my heart and soul into it I'm worth x whatever that number is I'm worth this much and you know not not undersell yourself I guess yeah and not being afraid to put the real price on it yeah yeah that's great that's a great recommendation well Nicola thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast okay well thanks for having me yeah it's great to great to see you and you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast I'm Abby Glassenberg today's episode was brought to you by Divine Social Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers creators crafters artists and DIY enthusiasts They are behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. The team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop. 
to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.